You're listening to Drek FM. This is Steve Sansweet of Rancho Obi-Wan, and you're listening to the 602 Club. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. You're in the wrong place, Ezra Bridger. Master? Master Kenobi? I am, and when you have your strength, I will help you on your way. On my way? No, I came here to find you. To warn you. About more? Yes. Uh, you know? One doesn't survive as long as I have by being foolish or unprepared. Maul is an old adversary, and a persistent one at that. We can fight him together. I had no intention of fighting him, though that seems inevitable now. You don't understand. You're the answer. The Holocrons told me. They said you would be the one to help us destroy the Sith. Hmm. That's the first I've heard of it. The Rebellion needs you. We need you to defeat the Empire. What you need, you already have. Unfortunately, you seem to be letting it all go. But if I had what I needed, why would the Holocrons send me to you? They didn't. Maul did. Maul used your desire to do good, to deceive you. And in doing so, he has altered the course of many things. He knows your fears, your heart, and he manipulated the truth, which has led you here where you should never have been. But the Holocrons, they tell the truth. Do they? The truth is often what we make of it. You heard what you wanted to hear, believed what you wanted to believe. And now the only one who has gained anything from all of this is... Me. You're in the right place for us to be talking Star Wars Rebels Season 3. And with me here to talk Star Wars Rebels Season 3 Retrospective is John Mills. John, how are you? I walk the center path of Star Wars Rebels. I come in and talk about it when it's necessary for the story. <laughs> so, you're Bendu! Yes. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Great. It must have been oh, my goodness. tremendous voice work that gave it away. Yes, it really did. You <laughs> sounded just like Tom Baker. I, I, there was absolutely no distinction. I, uh, I my Obi Wan brand. was rubbish. Your Tom Baker <laughs> Bendu was fantastic. Uh, <laughs> but I, I gotta say, I'm so excited to be here with you in the supplemental to talk about uh, season three of of Rebels, which is uh, wrapped up now, and as we do every season. Uh, we're just gonna get together and 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 really chew the fat, uh, the the dewback fat on uh, what happened this season. And hey, we got to see a dewback this season, so you know that's true. Yeah, uh, you can find us, of course, before we dive in on uh, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek fm you can also find us online at trek.fm. We have a listeners only discussion group. Uh, you can find that on Facebook. Type Babel into the search field on Facebook because it's called the Babel Conference. Or if you're on the website, any of the show pages, they have a little menu bar. You can hit discussion. It'll bring you there. We're on Twitter, at TrekFM. And then, of course, you can find us on iTunes. Now, big news right now. The There was a snafu with a f- 
iTunes, and we lost the Star Wars 602 Club feed completely. And we lost all the reviews we had there, which is very sad. We had 30 different reviews. We were at five stars. I really appreciate that from everyone, all the hard work that you'd put into that. Uh, So to get those back now that we're back officially on iTunes, uh, we're doing a little contest here through May 18th. Uh, Get your reviews in. You can do whatever you want, whatever you say, but it does have to be a written review and it does have to be in the U.S. so that uh, you could win the contest. What we're giving away, we're giving away two different copies of Rogue One on Blu-ray. So you could win the movie. It's coming out soon. You might not even have to pay for it. Uh, So just uh, hit us up with a star rating and review there on iTunes for the Star Wars 602 Club feed and you will be entered to win. Anybody, it's open to anyone. You can have been on the show before you could be on the network you could be somebody who just found the show anyone is open for this this is for everyone and so i'm very excited to to be doing this and like i said we have two different copies for you to win so get your review and star rating in um now john matt i remember uh we talked about the opening for season three and uh one of the big things obviously for this season uh, was bringing in Thrawn. And now we're not going to walk through every single episode and talk about that. You know, uh, we're going to kind of cover some more of the deeper topics that, that came up this, this season. But I wanted to ask you, obviously, it's a huge deal to make this character canon in the first place. You know, mm-hmm. beloved character by many people. I, I'm a huge fan. Now that we're at the end of the season, how do you think it worked? And did the hype live up to what we got story-wise for the season? I'm going to say, no, it didn't live up to the hype. I would question whether anything really could that wasn't a season focused exclusively on Thrawn. Thrawn was an element of this season and a very interesting one and one that I loved every time they brought him in. And Kiner's theme song for him was amazing as well. Yes. It was just absolutely per- like a Dracula-esque sort of theme. I It never would have occurred to me that that would have been Thrawn's theme. But as soon as I heard it, I went, that's it. That's him. Perfect. The voice work was fantastic for Thrawn. The characterization of him, the writing, everything was great. And I think that sort of highlights the fact that when they hyped Thrawn, I was under the impression he was going to be the thing, the obstacle for the season. He was an obstacle for the season, but he wasn't the obstacle for the season. And that's what I would have liked to see. So, I mean, it's, I'm, not, I'm not ragging on the character or the execution. I think it was all wonderful. But did it live up to the hype? No. I think you're absolutely right in the sense that I think so many of us that were major fans of the expanded universe now the legends line i think it's inarguable that the thrawn series the first three that zon did are considered by many if not most star wars fans to kind of be the pinnacle of what the eu was like that was at its height you know and and the character of thrawn and that creation also was kind of the pinnacle because Zahn had given us a completely different character. We hadn't seen that kind of character before in Star Wars, that kind of villain for uh, our heroes to face. And even in Rebels, I think it was very smart to bring in Thrawn as the villain because he's different than Callus was. 
He's mm-hmm. different than Constantine and Price and all of these other Imperials, and he's not a an Inquisitor. Yeah. He's legitimately evil Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, what well, Moriarty. He's Moriarty. Yeah, exactly. He is yeah. the Moriarty of the Star Wars universe. And I think what allowed him to kind of be the threat and be the menace is something that my friend William had said uh, before. I, I don't know if it was on his podcast, Ion Cannon, or if it was just a conversation we were having, but he was saying, look, the great thing about Thrawn is that it allows you to have him, quote unquote, lose, you know, mm-hmm. but still win. Because even in his losses, he's he's learning. And I, right. You know, I think that was one of the things that was so neat about the season finale is that he had put to use everything he had learned yeah, to stage this attack. And, honestly, he would have won if a couple of things had not gone wrong that were not in his control. Basically, the biggest one being his own men not listening to him and obeying his orders. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, or, or listening to stringently to his orders. Like, yes. What what's interesting about Thrawn is they really cast a light on, and I don't think this was necessarily intentional, but I think in this context, bringing Thrawn into this specific context shows how a brilliant military mind needs a really well-oiled machine working beneath him. He can't possibly do everything by himself. He has to be able to trust that he's going to have intelligent commanders who are going to follow his in, the spirit of his instructions as opposed to the letter. And then you have people who break it right out. You know, like, so to, to your point, yes, he wins the battle if not for the incompetence of certain players. What's really interesting, though, that I think is easy to overlook with Thrawn is it's a clear move away from the Inquisitors and toward the more Star Wars universe that we're used to where or you know in the original trilogy where force users are so rare you know the if the inquisitors are gone and they're out of mind now with thrawn we're seeing the ascendancy of the non-mystical leader thrawn is that guy that is super brilliant but he doesn't need um the force to guide him and you can see him sort of informing characters like Mahdi who, you know, don't try to frighten us with your sorcerer's ways. You can see that sort of mentality creeping in where there aren't commanders living with inquisitors showing up on Lethal to chase people down. Right, right. They're like, we trust us. We're the military guys. We know what we're doing. Well, and, and I mean, that is also seen at the end of the season when Thrawn is faced with Bendu. Uh, and yeah. he's like, what? kind of Jedi devilry is this, you know, and uh, that's not something that's in his wheelhouse to necessarily deal with. And, right. And so I think you're absolutely right, you know, because even this season, we we didn't see Vader at all this season. Mm-hmm. We didn't see any Force users other than, well, we saw Kenobi, we right. saw Maul, and we saw Kanan and Ezra, and of course, Bendu. Those are our Force users, but none of those are people that uh, have any real connection with, of course, the Empire anymore. And so the Empire has really become this 
bureaucratic machine where somebody like Tarkin is going to be the head dog, you know, taking care of this rebel right. rabble. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. The rolled R's are beautiful. Yeah, it's fantastic. I, I just I can't wait to get Rogue One so I can just enjoy that performance <laughs> all over again. <laughs> well, I you know, it, it's um interesting in that they had Thrawn go up against Bendu. That was uh, unexpected. Um because I didn't expect them to have a one-to-one interaction, but you're right. It does throw it even more into relief how Thrawn, when he encounters the Jedi, it's not with any sort of reverence or any sort of awe about what they can do. They're just people who do tricks. It's almost a Han Solo-esque sort of thing where it's like, yeah, simple tricks and nonsense to Thrawn. And that's why Bendu is so puzzling to him is because here's, uh, you know, somebody who walks a different path and and yet is a force user. I mean, it's almost like when we encounter the Night Sisters in the Clone Wars, it makes sense and you roll with it, whereas Bendu is really unique and it, it can show how much the world building has changed or the world itself has changed in the building, where in the Clone Wars, all of the mysticism is very common, whereas it's becoming less and less common there they're bleeding it out of the galaxy at this point. Yeah, no, I think you're uh, you're absolutely right because, you know, in season two, when we ran into different Force users, it was interesting, you know, the Lasats that we ran into, you know, they mm-hmm. had their own version of the Force. And so I, I think what's been fascinating throughout all of Star Wars recently are the places where we're running into other people who have their own ideas about the Force and Bendu just happened to be added to that, and seeing him in in the mix was very interesting. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about Thrawn before we dive into some other topics that happened this season, I heard a lot of people complaining about the voice work. And what? That they had a hard time understanding him because he talks very low, slow, and they felt like he mumbled. Did you have an issue with that at all? Nope. I, I, I didn't, and I'm not saying that to be combative or dismissive or anything like that, but I, I, di- I just didn't. Um, I don't, maybe I have volume leveling turned on my television or something. I, I don't know, but um, I don't think I do because that would be wrong because that would ruin the audio mixing work <laughs> of all of those professionals. So I don't think I do, but I, no, I, I didn't. I didn't okay. have any. Did did you have any issue? No, I, I mean, or? I just heard that from other people talking about Thrawn you know, like for other podcasts or people I knew, you know, and, and for me, what I loved about the way that Lars Mikkelsen doing the, the voice work for Thrawn, obviously he's Maz Mikkelsen's brother and he was in Rogue One, so they're both involved in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. The way that he voices the character, one, it's very alien, it has a very alien inflection. Uh, the accent is very alien, so it, it matches what they did a lot with the Clone Wars, where they'd pick an interesting accent to represent a, a specific um, species, like uh, right. the Twi'leks being French and, and on and on. And two, when he talked, you had to pay attention. Like, he wasn't somebody who minced words. He, whenever he said something, you had to sit up and pay attention to what he was saying. Right. And that's what I really liked uh, about the characters. Like, he's not somebody who's going to be loquacious, even though Callus tells him he talks too much in the (laughs) the last episode, (laughs) which was funny. Uh, But he doesn't talk a ton. But when he does, you really do need to pay attention because he's going to be saying something important. 
Yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, and this is it, this is interesting because it's, <laughs> because Mads Mikkelsen and Anthony Hopkins both played Hannibal Lecter, but Thrawn, his voice work is a lot like Hannibal Lecter in the fact that he always comes off as calm. He's just talking to you. He's just, I'm going to blow you all up, and I hope you enjoy the fact that I'm going, and to your point, it is a, uh, it is an, uh, you know, an example of using the voice as an instrument for an actor because when somebody talks low, you do have to sit up and pay closer attention. It's a way of making you pay attention without exerting any energy because when somebody talks low, you have to lean in. They're, they're pulling you in and Thrawn is the type of person that would do that. You have to pay attention to me and if, I, if, if I'm not going to raise my voice. Yeah, because he's a man who's all about the details. Right. You know, like for him, there is no devil in the details because that's all that he cares <laughs> about is the details, right. you know? He is the devil in the details. <laughs> we'll just look at the eyes. There you exactly, go. Exactly, <laughs> there you go. Um, so one of the things, okay, when we first watch the opener for season three, we had this conversation together about mm-hmm. this idea of Ezra, the dark side, and Maul, and how all of this was going to play out throughout the season. And so I wanted to revisit that with you because, you know, the season begins with Ezra and his temptation towards the dark side, you know, Maul trying to lure him throughout the season to be his apprentice. Uh, and, you know, it finally brings us full circle to somebody that we'll talk about in a minute because it'll lead us there. And you all know who I'm talking about, the one and only Kenobi. Um, Kenobi! Was that there good? There you go. Yeah. There you I don't go. Know. Yeah, I think Sam Whitworth still got his job. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but did it end up working for you as a storyline, or do you feel like that they dropped the ball on that one? I think that overall, what I feared was going to happen came to pass which is it was there but not there. And I at no point saw any real pursuit outside of the opener. Of the, My big complaint was that they had resolved Ezra's temptation by the dark a little bit too quickly. Now, you can argue, well, Maul stays in contact with them and they, you know, they, they have the holocron thing happen and all of that. But at no point is Ezra... Does Ezra seem really tempted? He doesn't seem like he's going to fall at any point. And that was, that was to me, the big promise of the ending of season two was Ezra was going to spend this season really struggling with that. And I didn't see that struggle. I think that it gets lost in the shuffle because they did so much during the season that this couldn't help but be a plot line to the side. And when I do look back at the season, there are certain episodes where I question why they were included and somebody didn't seize the day and say, no, we have a couple of slots here where we can keep exploring this and tease it out a bit. I think that it it winds up spinning off enough and not getting enough attention so that when we do jump back in, it feels disconnected from what's going on elsewhere. So I I did something uh, that I didn't know if I'd get a chance to do 
but I went back and, and rewatched the episodes that dealt specifically with Ezra and Maul and this this whole thing. Yeah. Those main episodes are the opener, Steps into Shadow, the Holocrons of Fate. You have to wait all the way to Visions and Voices, which is quite a long time. Yeah, it is. Uh, the, didn't they a, have the a, season break between those? Uh, yes, they did. And then you don't really pick it up again until Twin Sons. So there is this progression of the story happening throughout the season. Now, the problem is, is if you watch all those episodes in su- succession, it it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it, it feels more connected and it feels more like the story makes sense because all of those episodes have the, the, that theme. I think, you know, the main problem here, and, and this is something that Rebels has suffered from, is they haven't realized that they're a serialized show and they've pretended that they're not. So they will have continuing stories throughout the season, but there aren't enough threads usually throughout the different episodes that kind of remind you that that's happening. And and so specifically with Ezra and the Dark Side, any one of these episodes between, say, Holocrons of Fate and, and Visions and Voices, and that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven episodes, any of those seven episodes could have had hints of Ezra's struggle. Yes. You don't have to make it the main plot point. It could just be a thing that reminds you, oh, ooh, ooh, is Ezra doing something that, you know, oh. You know, Does he seem distracted? Does he seem like he's, you know, somebody comes and they're like, what are you doing? You know, why? I've been calling you for 20 minutes and you find out he's, you know, and he like shoves away the holocron or something like that. Right. And, and, and you know, the problem was is that in holocrons and fate, the holocrons are destroyed. So you can't have that, but what we could well, have just had, yeah, I mean, what we could have had is just any little bit in those episodes to show the way in which, um, the same way the Clone Wars does with Anakin, where it'll drop in some of those dark side moments. Right. Uh, like I'm thinking of Voyage of Temptation, where Anakin stabs the guy in the back and he's like, what? He was going to blow up the ship. You know, it's right. a dark moment for Anakin, but he doesn't see it. You know, right. the same thing they could have planted there with Ezra throughout the season so that by the time, you know, Visions and Voices comes around, you get uh, Twin Sons, that you felt like there's been a flow throughout the season of, of Ezra really struggling with this. I mean, because obviously he's been struggling with this connection with Maul but maybe right. even just struggling with feeling darker feelings that have been coming out in weird ways. And, you know, yeah, th- I think that's what would have helped. That's even, uh, I think, a symptom of another problem is that this show was set up as Ezra's show. In the first season, there's no question that it's Ezra Bridger time. And he finds a slightly different place, but it, you're still spending a lot of time focused on Ezra's journey in season two. In this, I really thought that season three became a continuity season. A we're working in the you know that we're we're purposely doing things to build to world build 
as opposed to follow a character's journey. And to me, that is a discordant note, especially for Star Wars, because this, the world building was always done within the context of a specific character's journey. Now, I know that we have multiple main characters. We have the family. And so I'm not saying that every single episode should have been Ezra's journey, period, and end of sentence. We didn't even do that in the Clone Wars. But there there was so little focus on his turmoil, on his journey, that I really detected that shift from this is a character show to we're building a world so that we can get to a point. Maybe I'm unique in that view, but that's what I came away with. No, I, I don't think you're unique in that view at all, and I think that's exactly what's happening. And, and, and here's where I would say uh, the DC TV universe does this really well, where they will bring in lots of different elements from the DC universe, but each show is about their main character and mm-hmm. then the extended family and then the rest of the universe, right? Right. And now they're even all interconnected. So, I mean, there's there's a lot that they're juggling. But they find a way to make you feel the link between the character storylines each and every episode because they touch on those little points. You know, like that's that that character, like say, well, let's take Arrow, for example, and Felicity mm-hmm. might not be the main character for that episode, but they might touch on points with her that kind of remind you this is what's happening with Felicity, you know? Right. Uh, th- I think that's the thing that that I, Rebels really needs to have happen, where they begin treating the show more serialized. Uh, and and I, I know that's a hard thing to do with a kid's show, but it would really help all of these things connect better. And even just the you know the the world building itself. I mean, you know, we got Wedge in Antilles Instruction. And then, honestly, I can't remember the when the next time we saw Wedge was. I mean, obviously, I know he was in Zero Hour, our last episode. Uh, he was in, uh, I think, Secret Cargo, he in, maybe? He was in Zero Hour in, like, a flash. Yeah, yeah. There, there was, like, a mention. Oh, oh of course. I'm oh, sorry. From... He was in Double Agent Droid, uh, of course. Yeah, uh, but, um, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, uh, which was, okay, yeah, that was the shining hour of the season. Yeah, um, well, I mean, because you know. he had to go to the fresher, and uh, AP Five kept falling in there while he had to go to the bathroom. But, but, but that—that's an interesting thing because you say, you know, it's—it's it's tough to do a serialized show with a kids' show. Is this really a kids' show at this point? That's a good. The question. whole thing has shifted to appeal to the older audience. Yeah, and it's on, you know, Saturday nights when I don't, you know, I, I, you know, like I, everything about this show including its time slot at this point says to me okay guys we heard it you want your star wars show you know and so we're gonna give it to you Mm -hmm. and that is really where i think the maybe season three is the pivot point where we're gonna look back on it we're gonna say they just sort of threw out the first they didn't throw out obviously but they right. gear shifted so hard from the first two seasons that they said you know what we're just going to give you the world building you want so that you can watch rebels and then plug in rogue one and then yeah. star wars well and it it does seem that's where they're falling i mean even the the very last episode uh as they leave adalon and escape they're planning to head towards yavin right so i mean 
Definitely. Well, I mean, and they, they even called Dodonna's fleet the Masasi fleet. Yeah, which was fantastic. I mean, who wasn't geeking out at that moment? I yeah. totally was. Uh, <laughs> it was a good. It was a good reference. It, it was. was a, it was a yeah. Good it was a great reference. Um. So, it, but I think the, the whole idea of Maul and Ezra being linked in this was fantastic. I think that was a great idea. But the execution for the season wasn't what it needed to be to make the impact once you got to Twin Suns what it should have been. Correct. I absolutely agree with you. And, absolutely and that's, agree. Yeah, and that's the main problem is, is not that I have a problem with how this all ends up at Twin Suns because obviously I think everybody realized when they brought in Maul for Rebels, okay, we're going to end his story. Uh, and uh, Dave was pretty upfront about that in the Rebels Recon with Twin Sons. He said, look, you know, a lot of these characters I'm, I love, and I kind of wanted to make sure that I got to handle how they went out or what happened to them. So like Ahsoka or, you know, of course Maul, you know, he has such a connection with these characters. He wanted to make sure he was the one, who, if he could, got the opportunity to, to handle it. You know, you know what bothers me though about um, I I don't know whether I, it was in Rebels Recon or in another article that I read, but um, Filoni was actually quoted as saying that he checked with the story group to make sure he could do this with Maul that there weren't future plans for him, and that that bothered me. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to say it straight out. It bothered me a lot because of the fact that. I think that speaks to the lack of spontaneity, and I think that is mm. maybe something that's leaking through, is that there isn't the great, expansive opportunity for the mind-blowing, unexpected moments. And I know we keep making reference back to the Clone Wars, but even the Star Wars movies themselves, back when they were you know, Lucas-driven, there was a spontaneity every time I went in. It might have given me what I expected. It might have been fans or it might have been this. It might have been that. But there was always that lurking thing in the shadow where you knew it could come out of left field and you'd say, wait, what just happened? And that's missing from this. And, and that's I think that's where the Clone Wars style of doing the arcs, especially in the later seasons, became such an... Well, I mean, gosh, even they did it in season two with the, the Mandalorian arc. They did three episodes in a row, so it was uninterrupted storytelling. Yeah. And so they, it made it an important link between each of them. And I think that much more serialized storytelling that the Clone Wars used when it was telling an important story where it linked them to all together in an arc was so important. And I think that would have really helped the, the Maul, Ezra, Dark Side story feel yes. much more important for the season. Because as I said, when I watched all those episodes together, it flowed much better because there wasn't all this other stuff getting in the way of making me forget that this was happening. And so much time passes to where I'm like, what? Oh, oh yeah, that's right. Because Ezra did the thing, you know, like because there haven't been enough reminders throughout the season. But even removing that, even you know, even removing that, you can overcome that, and you can adopt that by saying, you know what, let's have this happen earlier. We're gonna focus before the season break on these two things, and then after the season break, we'll focus on these two things. But I, I think that there's even, you know, it, an even bigger storytelling problem is the fact that this comes off at certain key points as manufactured 
as not, and th- this has always been sort of the, the warning bell that, that I, I like to think I've been sounding ever since Lucas sold to Disney was, is there going to be the art at work here? Is there going to be the willingness to say, just do whatever, and if you get a crazy idea, do it, or is there going to be this domineering, no, we have to get these things done, and you are going to tell this part of the story within that. Now, to give credit to when things work, Thrawn feels really good. We've already said that. If you watch this, you know, the thing that that resolves with twin sons and you watch them in, in quick succession, I mean, twin sons, everybody talked about that episode for a very specific reason, and it wasn't the resolution. It wasn't just the resolution of Maul and the Kenobi stuff. It was the fact that it was an episode that felt anachronistic to the season because from the very first moment, and it wasn't a perfect episode, okay? There were issues with it, but... I loved it because it felt like an artist sat down and told me a story as opposed to an assembly line thing where, again, this, this larger story building purpose must be served. No, I, I really like what you're saying there. And I think this is the perfect time to talk about Twin Sons. Uh, we will choose this episode obviously it's a huge episode and i think john and i would be completely remiss if we didn't sit down and just talk <laughs> about it together yes uh, no remiss because everybody knows how i be feel about obi-wan kenobi uh mm-hmm. and and the storyline here and so all of that aside it's, it, if if they had found a way to to make the storyline with Ezra and Maul feel more connected to the rest of the season so that by the time I got to Twin Sons, it didn't feel like, and now we're going to wrap this up. It also didn't help that Double Agent Droid came right before this, and I felt like, why why didn't we have that be the B-side to another story in the season? So mm-hmm. that Twin Sons could also be an hour and we really make this an event. Because if we are truly going to bring Obi-Wan and Maul together with Ezra and make this be the end of all things for Maul, doesn't that deserve more than the, I think, five minutes that Maul's on screen? Yes. And I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about the five minutes Maul's on screen uh, in, in this way. I loved the way he punched out. I actually really liked it. I liked the fact, and Filoni himself called this out, that it's an homage to Seven Samurai mm-hmm. and yep. the Swordmaster who doesn't want to get in the fight and the guy won't let him get out of it. And the Swordmaster's like, okay, this is not going to go well for you, but mm-hmm. all right, bring it. More screen time with Maul would have been better. More dialogue, more like him and Ezra together and Maul is talking about it. And even Ezra says, can't you see what's happening? And it builds up or, you know, any number of things to make it more, have more Maul in that episode. There were so many different ways they could have done that. And they could have even tied it in. They kind of tie it in, but they don't really tie it in to... um. To the larger arc where it could have been very easily Ezra running off 
and saying, oh, I can bring somebody back, like making it feel like more of a part of trying to draft mm-hmm. Kenobi into the fight and Kenobi resolving the thing with Maul and saying, but I can't go with you and I can't tell right. you why right now. Right. Well, and, and what's interesting, uh, so watching all of those episodes, you know, in Holocron's uh, fate and then in Visions and Voices, Ezra keeps getting more and more pieces about Kenobi. Right. And at the end of Visions and Voices, he tells Kanan that Master Kenobi, he believes, is still alive. And then in Twin Sons, when he goes to tell everybody, they're like, no, 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 no. Uh, We talked to uh, Organa. He confirmed he's dead. The problem is, is that so many people I've heard that didn't play off right in the sense that there wasn't the connection that we went and asked about what you had said. Like there, the, the dialogue didn't give you enough. So people didn't realize So everybody was like, well, why does nobody care that Kenobi is alive? Like, right. uh, well, it, the reason is because the dialogue is really quick. You don't pick up on it, but they've already talked to Senator Argana apparently about that. And he's like, no, I, He's confirmed. Yeah, he he's he's dead. He's he's deader than the dead thing that's dead. So, yeah. uh, you know, he's like one of those womp rats that Luke shot down in his T sixteen. Um, he's not coming back. But but that's I, I mean, you know, and that but that even speaks to you know your point. It's like you know, uh, double agent droid could have been discarded or a B plot in something, and twin sons could have had another episode leading up to it, and then it still could have been stitched into zero hour. And could have all built could have. I mean, you, you have an opportunity here because, you know, starting with through Imperial eyes, you could have had uh, because zero hours we're counting it as two episodes because technically it is. But you could have had, you know, two, four, uh, six episode arc all building on top of itself. Exactly. Because, I mean, in through Imperial eyes, secret cargo, if you have twin sons be basically like a two parter and then zero mm-hmm. hour, everything kind of building together to this massive thing. And I completely agree with you. The thing that I liked about the the Kenobi part uh, was the conversation that he has with Ezra. And talking about, you know, how he's been fooled by Maul. And, you know, how uh, that the do the holocron show truth, you know, and realizing that truth, it's not just like at the certain point of view thing, but your experience and what you want to hear, all of that gets filtered through what you see. And that's why it's so dangerous to see visions of the future, which really plays in. So when we talk about Luke seeing the vision in the cave and he goes off to, you know, Bespin, that's what Obi-Wan's trying to say. You know, I thought that was really good conversation and and also telling him, look, you're running away from what you already have. You have everything you need. And I thought that that could have been so much stronger because if the whole thing with Ezra and Maul had been stronger throughout the season this would have been a way to see, have Ezra realize the dark side is not what he wants to be a part of at all because he right. sees how crazy it's driven Maul. Right. Uh, because, and that's one of the wonderful things that we see is, is Maul is a character who has nothing now. He is he's nothing to live for except for hopefully, it seems like for him, the only thing he has left, if I could kill Kenobi, maybe 
that'll fill that hole in my heart, you know, that... Uh, He'll have accomplished something. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I just... I, this... It, the episode for what it was, like if I pull it out, uh, I love the five minutes that Kenobi and Maul are together. Yeah, I, I think the comp the the confrontation is is perfection. I think the way that it's staged is is very well done. Um, the fight is quick, but I love what it says about my favorite character of Kenobi. Oh, I thought you were going to say Maul. Well, curveball he was fantastic, but I love that this whole idea of how Kenobi like starts the fight, you know, and the 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 pose that we're, we're yeah. so used to from from the Ewan three McGregor. Stooges pose is what I yeah. call it. And and then he moves and he he settles to the Qui Gon pose. Mm. It's like yeah. he's become that master that his old master was. And yeah. not only that, but he's even better than his old master was because he's able to end this fight very quickly. Well, he's able to see that Maul's going for the same move exactly. that he used to try to kill Qui-Gon or yes. to successfully yes. kill Qui-Gon. Yes. And so there, there becomes a thing where Maul is stuck in the past and hasn't even in that little moment. And th- again, this is how this is why the episode stands out so much is it's obviously an artist conveying wordlessly with image. Here's one character who has learned from what he studied in the past and is different now. And Maul has been stuck in that moment ever since it happened. Yes. And that, yes. and so he just falls back on it to do the same thing. And that's why Kenobi is able to defeat him so quickly. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the whole thing shows the growth of Obi-Wan Kenobi. And, and my favorite part of the whole thing is that as Maul dies, Kenobi cradles him in his arms the yeah. same way he did Satine mm-hmm. after after he had been killed by Maul. Same way he cradles Qui-Gon. Exactly. He cradles him with the same loving respect as the people that Maul took away. And I thought the forgiveness that you see in Kenobi mm-hmm. and that letting go of that anger to allow somebody who's been an enemy to have a death that's not with another enemy, but almost with a friend. I thought I just it felt it was it was a big moment. I thought it was a really beautiful moment too, and something kind of unexpected. It also throws into, I think it opens an interesting discussion about the contradiction in how he approaches Vader, because Vader, in the original trilogy, you know Obi Wan does not approach Vader with the same you know like. There's a sense of pity for for Maul in that moment. And Obi-Wan doesn't show as much pity toward Vader. Uh, right, but I think it's know. because Maul is a much more pitiful character at this point. You know, Vader is a is is a character who's still willingly choosing to being who he is, fully embracing the dark side and his mantle yeah. as his dark lord of the Sith. You know, Maul is a broken character that obi-wan almost puts down like a dog you know like that it's just uh a friend i i heard a great uh a good friend of mine pete morrison say this on another show that he felt like this was atticus putting down the rabid dog i i think i think that's an interesting comparison i would see it 
more as Obi-Wan being merciful in the fact that he let Maul beat himself mm-hmm. so that yeah. it wasn't Obi-Wan killing yeah. Maul killed himself, basically. Yeah. And so Obi-Wan shows, you know, a, a, a mercy toward him of mm-hmm. he understands yeah. how broken he is. But, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, th- I think maybe it's for another time. But there's there I think there's definitely an interesting conversation in how differently Obi-Wan approaches Vader and mm. Mm. all of the different layers that could be applied there that could be a really interesting discussion. And again, throws into stark relief why Twin Suns feels so out of place in this season. Yeah. It's well, so impactful. And it's something that's really interesting when I think about Twin Suns, how it impacts the fight with Vader. It really does feel like both Vader and Obi-Wan have completely ulterior motives in that fight than having a fight. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that there's... I mean, I don't think it takes away the fact that that Obi-Wan um, is, is the master who can let Maul defeat himself but at the same time, you can still watch the episode four fight and see that when a more energetic approach is necessary, Obi-Wan is rusty with that. Like, I I think that another director than Filoni could have very easily fallen into the trap of trying to make the fight with Maul more showy, which would have felt ridiculously out of place with where we see Obi-Wan in episode four with this, I can completely buy that Obi-Wan can end the fight quickly, but he can't, uh, it's almost like, um, this is going to be a ridiculous, uh, comparison, but you know, whatever, this is where my brain's going. It's like, um, Tyson, Mike Tyson at the height of his power, so long as he could knock somebody out, like in the first 90 seconds, he was great, but he didn't. He wasn't a fighter that could necessarily go the distance by the time Buster Douglas got to him. And so there's, it, it, again, it's, mm-hmm. it's it's right. It's just where my brain goes, and that's I can still see Kenobi at that point where, if Kenobi had the opportunity in two or three shots to take Vader out, fine. But the fact is that Vader never gives is never going to give him that shot and so vader's toying with him and obi-wan is well anyway i i suppose yeah. another discussion no, for and, another yeah, time and and i i'll just say this and, and we can move on to, to one last thing uh about this twin sons is um i i kind of have always seen that fight is that obi-wan is trying to keep vader's attention and i feel like twin sons does a good job of showing me that obi-wan could have put up more of a fight but his goal is not to do that. His his goal is making sure that Vader's attention is focused on him and him alone and not what else is going on with Luke and Leia and Han, who are at this point trying to escape. I think that your your love for Obi-Wan blinds you to the fact that he's not as good I, as Vader I, by a new I, hope. I don't think that's the case after Twin Sons. That's what I'm saying. I, but we'll let the listeners decide. So uh, hit us up on Facebook or in, on Twitter at uh, Trek FM, or you can hit me up at MattRushing02, or you can hit at Kessel Junkie up. Let us know who's right, who's wrong, what you think, because uh, we'll not we'll not settle this tonight, but this sounds like an aggressive negotiations episode. So Yeah, it does. Um, Last <laughs> thing. 
Yeah. I don't think it's a controversy, but so many people made it one. But when he asks, is it the chosen one? And Kenobi says, he is. Do you think that means that Luke is the chosen one? Or do you just think that that means that that's what Kenobi thinks it means? No, I, I think I think that um, they've taken some of the fun out of it uh, in the fact that the debate about who the chosen one was was a lot of fun and was, you know, uh, a point of view contest uh, in a sense. But I I think that the this is a clear indication that they're locking into the interpretation that Luke is the chosen one. And I think that winds up playing into um, episode eight. And I'm going to go the opposite way because I uh, saw Dave Filoni talking about this on Rebels Recon and saying, uh, and I think Pablo Hidalgo actually answered this question as well, is that this is what Obi-Wan thinks at this moment. And it makes sense with what I know of Obi-Wan Kenobi throughout, the in, throughout all of the films, and, and specifically 4, 5, and 6. Kenobi at this point thinks that his, the, the, the Chosen One can't be Anakin because he's abandoned that. Uh, you, know, you know, that's why he's screaming at him on Mustafar. You were the Chosen One. You said that you would join this, uh, you know, destroy the Sith, not join them. So for him, he, I think he definitely believes that Luke is the Chosen One that will bring balance to the Force. That's why he's out in the desert for 20 years, man, to make sure this yeah. kid is alive. And it, it, it plays in, to me, to everything that I see him say to to Luke uh, throughout the rest of the series of who he believes Luke to be. And, and, and that's fine because I think, again, it's a prophecy and everybody can have their interpretation. I truly believe that Obi-Wan's interpretation of the prophecy at this point is that it's Luke. And I think that they, I think that they answered it as a dodge because they didn't want to get um, an angry reaction. I think that, that they are definitely going to lock in uh, going yeah. forward to the the concept of Luke as the chosen one. I think that as fans, we can continue to debate it mm-hmm. left and right till we're blue in the face, but I think that it's a clear indication of how uh, the stories will approach it from here on out. Well, and I mean, honestly, I find that hard to do when Lucas straight up answered the question and said, no, Anakin is the chosen one. Even when he was Darth Vader, he was the chosen one. So unless uh, you're willing to go against George Lucas, point blank. Well, I mean, that, that, again, that's a whole other question as to whether they consider themselves bound to that. Um, you know, they, they're... Yeah. They, yeah. they don't, you know, they, they consider it theirs now and not yeah, necessarily his. You're, I mean, you're absolutely right. They can do whatever they want with it. I... Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if it happens. That's my reading. That's your reading. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Uh, this truly is, a, with prophecy, it is a point of view thing. And so, um, sure. yeah, I don't know. Uh, Bendu. So um, a really interesting character that we got this season. And uh, the more I saw him, the more I realized this is basically just like a surly Tom Bombadil. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, a character who's outside of everything, doesn't care about anything else, is in his own little world. He legitimately has his own world until the rebels come and disrupt his nap. Uh, you know, it, it feels like basically all he wants to do is nap and people keep waking him up. That's what yes. Dave said. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was funny. But um, so 
the most interesting thing, the aspect of this character came to me at the end when we kind of do Deus Ex Bendu. Bendu Ex Machina. Bendu Ex Machina, I like it. Uh, And his whole idea about neutrality, you know, of refusing to, to be a part of this war that's gotten brought to his world. He's mad about it. You know, uh, Kanan calls him a coward, and he gets royally pissed off at that and mm-hmm. starts to destroy not just the Empire, but he he is targeting rebel ships. So he doesn't care. And so I, I thought this was really interesting because the conversation that Kanan and him have about this whole idea of can you sit back in the face of overwhelming evil and just do nothing? Like, and and it was interesting too because Bendu seems to be this character who's, I guess, immortal. So, does immortality have a role to play in that? His view is kind of like Doctor Manhattan from Watchmen, where he's like, "Eh, whatever will happen, will happen. I don't really care. It doesn't affect me anymore. You know, like mm-hmm. all I care about is my survival. That's it. You know, I just I thought it was really interesting to see a force somebody so strong in the force." have no care for anything that lives through the Force because he's just used to things living and dying, and that's just the way of things except for him. I found it curious how quickly his pacifist ideals and philosophies could be cast aside to uh, wreak um, electric death on everything that moved and breathed. I um, Talk about a reckless boogaloo. Yeah, right? I, I You know... I had, I did not care for the way they resolved the Bendu, um, specifically because it was Bendu ex machina. The only way they, it came across to me that they thought that the only way that they could get themselves out of this bind was to have Bendu get angry and spurred into action. Okay. All right, you, that's where you see your way out of this corner. But there were better ways than having somebody say, oh, yeah, McFly, what are you, chicken? And then Bendu saying, I'll show you. And it just didn't work for me. I, I'll, I'll be honest. I mean, as neat as it is to see somebody become a giant storm cloud and start killing everything, um, there is that dark side of me that is, you know, that's kind of, you know, giggle inducing because it's like, oh, cool. A God is at play. Raining but, down the hellfire brimstone. Right. Exactly. But it just didn't. I mean, the, everything we knew of the character up to that point for a simple insult to have spurred him into action like that really just didn't ring true for me. Oh, and of course, he insults Kanan right back, saying, maybe the Force was right to have let the Jedi and your kind die, you know, to extinguish your light from the galaxy. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I see where... I mean, like it to me, it was a fascinating character and, 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 and introduction to a new type of Force user. I mean, talk about, you know, with the Force priestesses we got in the Clone Wars and... Yeah. Uh, Mortis, somebody like a Maz Kanata, all of these interesting aspects. And, you know, when Bendo is 
originally introduced to us at the beginning of the season, he reminded me so much of the whimsy of the things that George would create. Like This seemed like that kind of thing. But the way that he's used, I, I completely agree with you, at the end of the season, it just it just seems like we write ourselves in the corner and Ben does the magic you know, potion to get us out right. of it. And it, it doesn't... Or even if Bendu is going to spur into action, as much as we know it's a trope, as much as we know that it is um, something we can sort of expect from this, it's okay if you have it be the Empire, somebody in the fleet saying there's some sort of large life force over here. Do you think that they're, you know, we have some sort of reading over here. Do you think they're bringing something online? Better safe than sorry, start shooting at it. And that's, and that's where the Bendu is like, you know, Kanan doesn't spur him into action, but a continuing theme with Star Wars is that the, you know, that the Imperials continually overestimate how much power they have. And so they wind up being the one to tick the Bendu off to the point where he's like, you know what? Fine. Everybody out of the pool, you know, and that's why he's just raining death on everything because Kanan has insulted him. And it's like, how dare you? I, I helped you find your path and correct your student. And you're being nasty to me. And now these people are shooting at me. You all suck. And then coming on top of everybody, you know? Now, I think that that rewrite right there changes everything. Yeah. So it's it's not the insult. It's the insult on top of the Empire trying to destroy him Was fat, would be fascinating. And, and what's most interesting, though, is that even when Thrawn thinks he's defeated Bendu, he tries to shoot him, but he's already vanished in the Force. Yeah. which I thought was a fascinating connection to a lot of the other things that we've seen, especially at the end of the Clone Wars with, you know, the whole idea of trying to learn how to become one with a force enough to be able to yeah. do that. It it, it it created a mystery for me that I, who knows if they'll ever answer in anything, but I just feel like the your rewrite is better than what they did. Well, thank you. I, I do, that doesn't trust me. I think anybody could have could have done that. But, you know, it, it with the disappearing act. The possibility that it opens is I know that in previous iterations of the official connected universe stuff, um, quite it was explicitly stated that Qui-Gon learned the preservation of identity after death in his journeys and um you know they express they expressly address that in the quote unquote lost season of of uh of the clone wars when yoda goes and visits you know him as twinkling lights and and all of those sorts of things i think it opens up an interesting possibility although i doubt that this team will ever explore it that qui-gon happened across the bendu at some point mm. and got mm-hmm. a piece of knowledge from him yeah, yes. That would have yes. led to him yep. meditating and and all and yes. maybe even yes. Bendu said to him, This is a secret. I'm trusting you with this. This isn't something I think all your Jedi friends are ready for. Mm-hmm. Something like that. Yeah, no, I that that's I like that a lot. Basically what you're saying is we need a Qui-Gon book series <laughs> about his travels. <laughs> so what he learned and how he learned it. Yes, that's what I we say need. that all the time. Yes. All the time. Yeah. One of the interesting things that we talked about this season doing was the way it started doing rebel connections. So getting different factions together 
We really see this by the end of the season, especially after Rogue One was released. We got Saul Guerrera on Rebels. They brought in Mon Mothma with one of the best episodes Rebels has ever done with Secret Cargo, I believe. Um, in the beginning, I mean, we legitimately saw the founding of the Rebel Alliance in Rebels. Yeah. And and so I just wanted to ask you how those things worked for you this season. Oh, I mean, you know, in terms of the, the world building, I thought it was successful. You know, it, it was, yes, it's neat to see Mon Mothma uh, resign from the Senate and declare that, the you know, we're a rebel alliance now and, you know, we're an official force. We're not um, just, a, you know, a couple of ragtag groups. We're uniting and we're, we're doing our thing. Um, seeing Saw was great. I liked that they brought him in, but... I also, because of the timing of the episode, I guess, and the fact that his arc was so short in duration, that it really came across more as a, you know, almost like a marketing ploy to say, hey, did you like Rogue One? See one of the characters that wasn't in it very much, and here he is in this show. You know, that felt like a marketing connection. Maybe it's just the timing of it that made it seem that way. But it, it was so short duration, you know, it's, right. I, I feel like Saul sort of gets short shrift in, in both yeah. the, you know, it's like, hey, give him some love, man. Come on. I totally felt like that until uh, they, at the end of Rebels Recon, they were talking about what's coming up for season four. And they said that Saul and Mon Mothman will definitely be back and you'll start to see the things build upon that lead to that split that you see in Rogue One where they're not working together. So I was really glad that we weren't just a, you know, two and done with Saw Gerrera, sure. that he's actually going to be back. I think that's fantastic news because otherwise you were exactly right. You're like, oh, really? That's that's all we're going to get? That that seems kind of, huh. Yeah. I, I mean, and it, and it just, it. I mean, even that little tidbit, knowing that just speaks again, I think, to sort of some of the problem with rebels finding traction is just, you know, like I remember we talked about this where with season two, it was like, Oh, hit and miss hit. And miss. Okay. It was good. Okay. And let's lose. And Oh, Hey, the ending was phenomenal. I can't wait for season three and see. Uh, okay. Like, it's almost like there's this continual promise where they're always saying to us, Hey, but next season, wait until you see what we do. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I think, uh, when you look at, some of these episodes, you know, uh, you could have lost them and done some more important things. And, you know, yeah. um, I'll mention here, you know, Dave talked about specifically with Double Agent Droid, where he said, you know, I know some of the fans like to call these filler, but, you know, and, and he's absolutely <laughs> right. It was a filler episode that didn't need to be there. And though what what I think we've always said about Rebels is, look, you're at this point where the history is so monumental, you shouldn't be wasting time with non-essential episodes, ones that don't have an impact to your characters, really, or to the rest of the saga. So just give us mythology of Star Wars, because at the time period you're in, that's what we care about. Right. And I think when you get an episode... Even like you said, it 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 wasn't everything you wanted to be, but you 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 wet the appetite for Saw Gerrera, or you bring Mon Mothma in, 
you have a resign from the Senate and you begin what we know as the Rebel Alliance over Dantooine. You know, like it just yeah the things that, that are are just little geek boys and girls are just squeeing in their you know seats. You know, as that happens, that's the kind of stuff that we love and 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 yeah. connecting our rebels now with this is, I think, a fantastic thing. But don't forget, the best way to do that is to is is to make the storylines weave in and out of each of the different episodes so that it feels more connected because it is all connected yeah. remember well i mean to yeah, it's all connected um you know what's funny though is about uh that uh, secret cargo that episode where the the founding of the rebel alliance was i thought that was neat but i'll tell you the thing the thing i liked better was when they ignited the gas cloud and set the star destroyer on fire that was awesome like that's that was awesome you know that on in all honesty, that's what I think of first with that episode. And yeah, so the Matara Nebula battle that they had. Right. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that is cool, man. Yeah. And it, I, I don't know. I I don't know if there's some part in me that may I, I think your point about weaving it together better is really the the overarching point because it, it there is just something I should think first of the Mon Mothma speech. But you gave me something actually so, so much visually cooler right beforehand that that's what I want more of, and not you know like it, it's you gave me two awesome things in a row. Yeah. Maybe you should have spaced <laughs> that out a little bit. Oh man, I totally hear you. One of the things that I really liked is them finally picking up on the Mandalorian connections with Sabine and finally giving this character something to do. Yeah. And I really have to say, I I enjoyed. The Trials of the Dark Saber and the Legacy of Mandalore episodes oh, yeah. very much this season. And um, finally getting to dig into the character of Sabine and specifically in Trials of the Dark Saber, which I thought was one of the strongest episodes that Rebels has ever done. And it's such a small episode, but it's so impactful. Like we were talking about, it's it's an episode where we're carrying on a story, but it's focused around a character and really right. digging into that character. And I, for the first time, cared about Sabine when she yes. tells her story to Kanan and is beating the crap out of him while he she does it. With the Darksaber, you feel the pain and the hurt and the anger and the frustration and, the, and, and everything for that character that I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I got a little misty. I, I, maybe there's some dust in the... The house or <laughs> well, something but it was so good and it was another example of how you do world building in that context because a lot of information in her duel in why she goes back to mandalore is communicated about the state of the empire about how the empire works about how people come to power about favoritism about all of these things is communicated in this character's personal story so that gets right back to your point i, I it's Yes, I all that just to say that yes, I thought the Mandal the the Mandalorian the Trial of the Dark Saber was uh, fantastic. It was a great hour. I mean, yeah, well, yeah, it was two we, parts. Yeah. No, yeah, exactly. And and I also to say the uh, the design work that they did for Kronos and the Crow's Nest, the yeah. the Mandalorian hideout there. I mean, it looked like a Bond villain home. Yes, in and. Mandalorian, what we'd seen, I think mean, everything about it was perfect. And, and and 
it's it's what I'd always kind of wanted from that character for Sabine, and so I'm so glad that they've finally given me a reason to like the character and really love her and connect with her. Or you know, feel like she has something to purpose. contribute to the larger arc. Yeah, mm-hmm, absolutely. And and then the way in which that played out in the finale was fantastic. Uh, you know, yes, it, it was. I thought that was a really nice connection, and the fact that it didn't automatically mean that Sabine was back, but that the actions that the rebels had taken earned them a favor with the Mandalorians. So they would then in turn help them in their time of need, but Sabine still had to go back and seems like she'll be back there for a while with, you know, season four, which is fantastic. Right. Directly relatable payoff to an earlier yes, storyline. Exactly. And yeah. hey, did you notice that uh Ezra is wearing a Republic spacesuit? <laughs> yeah. I, I thought you know, I, I uh I actually really enjoyed during that uh, when he had the saber and the gun. Yes. Uh, I thought that was so cool, not just because it was neat to see, not just because I thought it showed how he's not ready to be, a, he's nowhere near ready to be a Jedi yet, but also it winds up tying in unintentionally or not. I think probably unintentionally, but my first thought was it really shows the 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 journey because what's the first thing Luke does when he goes to the carbon freezing chamber? He puts his gun away. Mm-hmm. No point to it. And so, like, I, I think that even shows, yeah. you know, who's ready to be a Jedi and face a trial at this point. Well, this guy's still mm-hmm. using a blaster, and this one knows, yeah, this isn't any good. Well, we had an interesting thing happen this season. We've got a couple more things left. Um, so, Witta's episodes. Gary Witta was the yeah. first person to take a crack at Rogue One. And I know this is something when we talk about what we put on the outline is something you want to talk about. So, um, you know, how do you feel like those episodes did? His episodes this season were the Antilles Extraction, the Wincatho Job, and Warhead. Mm-hmm. So, well, I don't know. What do you think? They were all forgettable. I really, I really do think that. I don't think that these episodes really uh, contributed anything to anything. I mean... It, Warhead was cute because it was Zeb running around, and I liked the character. But, eh. I mean, you now can if you had had Zeb and Rex running around together, because those two, I feel Episodes like those two need better. Can't I mean, what if Zeb and Rex? That was the next spitoff. It was the Zeb and Rex comedy hour. Sold. I, there you go. I, There's the, your writer room <laughs> moment right there, Matt. You just pulled it off. You just made that episode better. <laughs> Those two better. interacting in the finale was so wonderful. I was like, why yeah. do they not interact more? They are perfect Completely together. Agree. And the thing is, we keyed in on that at, back at the beginning of season two. We mm-hmm. loved their interaction all yeah, the way back at the beginning. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, yeah. Uh, you and they just even that referenced that about, yeah. you know, hunting the, I can't remember the name. I'm a bad Star Wars fan. Everybody can tweet me what it was that I, I missed. But uh, the, uh, yeah, anyway. Uh, well, I mean, in the final episode, when you know, when they both stop and they hear the walkers, oh, I hate that sound. Me yeah. too, right? And they yes. both start running yes. off because the they have four-legged that ones. Moment. Yeah. Oh, great stuff. Well, see, okay, the Weta episodes. The the one that mattered obviously was the Antilles extraction because yeah. it's it's with getting wedge and you get hobby. That's a prob- throw in. Yeah, but, but the <laughs> problem with the episode was is that the stakes were so low. Yeah. And we ended up getting 
three pilots out of it? Two pilots out of it? Two pilots, I think. You know, and Maybe. so... No, because Sabine was in the third ship. Right, you're right, you're right, yeah. Uh, and, and so it was frustrating is that the the episode was basically just fan service. Hey, this is how Wedge becomes part of the, you know... Yeah. Who, you know, whatever. And and I think that's what didn't work for me there. And, and the Win Cathu job, uh, you know, I like Hondo, but that was a throwaway episode that was yep. completely unneeded. Uh, Warhead was, like you said, it was fun. I enjoyed that. You know, as filler episodes go, I thought it was actually one of the better ones because it 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 was it was it was a subtle reference to the ways in which Thrawn is trying to find out where these you know rebels are. Yeah. But really, that's the biggest connection. The rest of it's just kind of eh. Well, I I mean the the fact that you threw out there just now, it should have been Rex. Yeah. Now I can't go back and watch that episode because. If I watch that episode again, I'm going to be sitting there saying, "Yeah, yeah you put Rex. Rex in there with him with the droids. It would have been great." Yeah, I mean, Rex having to work with clankers again, basically, you know, just you, uh, AP you, five you, and you basically just wrecked the only one of those three sorry. that I was giving I, any love I'm to. So sorry, man. Well My done, bad. Matt. Well done. Um, well, let's talk about some hope. Let's talk about some hope. Uh, you know, season four, it, they've renewed it, uh, and I, I'm I'm actually. Quite excited to see what they do have coming up. And so I wanted to ask you, you know, kind of looking forward and what we had this season, what do you hope to see in the upcoming season? Thrawn. I want more Thrawn. I want Callus to become a player who goes up against Thrawn um, because I really liked what they did with Callus's character. Yes. Um, ex- yes. Absolutely. He, he, you know, he did. I, I really liked him by the end of the season. It was really, I mean, I liked him before that when he was a villain, but I like the fact that you have an actual character who grew. And any more David Oyelo that you can have is, oh, yeah. I mean, that guy is fantastic. So I completely and 100% agree. Um, so more Thrawn, plenty of callous. To speak to your point, I want uh, Zeb and Rex constantly together as a buddy comedy. Totally on board with that. And I want a clear idea of Kanan's fate before Rogue One. That's my biggest hope because there is still a dangling question for me of there wasn't a Jedi in the fleet before, you know, like they go like obviously Mon Mothma knows who Kanan is. Bail Organa knows who Kanan is. Would they? I mean, you know, the, the fact that in Rogue One, it's a big deal that they're going out after Obi-Wan. Like, it's, in a sense, the resolution of Kanan's arc, and maybe even Ezra's, before we get to the events of Rogue One, is just as important as tying up uh, the mall thing, where it's these things all connect and they all exist just out of sight with the main movies, but there's this there's this need, I guess I'll say, to have them resolved before it could potentially impact the movies. So that the move so that we don't ever have to be the Star Wars fan that looks at my wife or my kids and say, Oh, well, what you need to understand is this happen no. 
that like that's why you need to resolve these things before the movies come up. So that's that's what I'm. I mean, if if season yeah. four is it, I need that resolved. Yeah. Well, and if season four is it, I think that would definitely happen. I the things I'm excited to see are the way in which Mandalore plays out because we've been promised that that's going to happen. Uh, there was they even showed us in Rebels Recon a beautiful concept art picture of a bunch of Mandalorian helmets all strewn across the face of Mandalore. Mm. Uh, I want to see, obviously, the continuing building of the Rebel Alliance. I want to see us go to Dantooine and the Rebel base there. I I, I don't want to just yeah. us skip and go to Yavin. I want to go to Dantooine. Uh, obviously, the, the promise of seeing uh, Saul and the Mon Mothma fall out is fantastic. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, if this is the last season, we also need to see the resolution for a character, specifically like Ezra and Kanan. Uh, and I'd on, I honestly, I, I feel like I want to see Ahsoka. I want to see the, her her fate somehow. Uh, I, and I, I feel like if Dave has anything to say about it, and and he did with obviously you know wanting to wrap up Maul, I feel like he might have something up his sleeve with that. So, um, you know, those are my hopes. I guess when we're talking yeah. about hope, that's what I hope for. Yeah, rebellions are built on hope, Matt. That's what I hear. Uh, you know, <laughs> and uh, the, it worked well on Scarif. You know, they they yeah, they got good. away. So. This is, I I mean, I just, God, John, I love talking this stuff. And I think on a whole, um, if we were going to rate season three, uh, let's do it at 10. So we have some nice leeway for everyone. They kind of know where we're going to stand. What do you think? What do you rate season three? Overall, I wind up being probably harsher than I'd like to be. And I give it a seven out of 10. what, What was great was great. And what didn't work drove me nuts. I am. Um, it's funny that you say seven out of ten because I was thinking about it when I was putting it in my mind. Okay, gotta ask John this question. I'm right there with you. Absolutely seven out of ten. Uh, and you nailed it. What works here was was pretty phenomenal. What doesn't work, it needs work for season four. So yeah. let let's make that happen. And I I believe they will. And I believe they can. Uh, I, I think successively the seasons have gotten better. I think this season was more consistent than season mm-hmm. two. Sure. Definitely more consistent than season one. So we, uh, you know, uh, lots of shows are, are growing pains. And, yeah. uh, you know, even Star Wars shows. So uh, I, I definitely feel like this one could be just phenomenal by season four. And, and who knows if it's the last one. Maybe it's not. But if it is, I, I'm I'm sure they've got some great stuff up their sleeves. And I love talking about this stuff. I'm so glad we get to do it here on the 602 Club with the supplemental. And we got a lot of stuff coming out for you in the next few weeks because it's just been a busy nerd time. Uh, we've got Iron Fist we're going to be reviewing. We've got just the normal show we're going to be doing. we got some Bond coming back. We're going to touch on some Marvel. We've got some Star Wars books that we're going to be covering for you as well. And... All of that's coming out in just the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, you've got so much coming for you. I really appreciate our uh, associate producers here through Patreon, Ken Tripp, Davis Grayson. They've been phenomenal supporters of the Trek FM Network and the 602 Club. 
And without them, we couldn't do this. Uh, you know, everyone who goes to patreon.com slash trekfm and sees how they can support the network and the little bit that they give every month or a lot, it just it's up to you. Whatever you can do, it makes sure that all the shows that we do here in the network come to you each and every week. So again, just go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can make that happen. Now, uh, Master Mills, it has been phenomenal to have you back in the 602 Club. It, I mean, it's been too long, and I love when you're here. <laughs> but uh, where can everybody find you uh, if they want to talk about some Rebels or anything else? Because you do way more than just Star Wars, my friend. Um, yeah, well, first and foremost, thank you for you know uh, letting me back in and, and preserving my stool here at the 602 Club. I, hey, I do your really butt is the only that. one that touches that stool. It says Mills on it for a reason. <laughs> and that's just, well, anyway, we'll get into that story later. Uh, but <laughs> if, if you're looking for me, look for Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice. That's who I am. That's where I am. KesselJunkie.com. You can find me there. Uh, and I'm also here on the Trek.fm network regularly. Uh, with Mike Schindler on Stage 9, exploring the work of Star Trek creators. Uh, you can find me uh, co-hosting Words with Nerds with my pal Craig. And speaking of Star Wars, I co-host a show with a delightful chap named Matt over on the Nerd Party Network called Aggressive Negotiations. I'm so glad to do that show with you, John. It's, it me is too. an absolute joy. Uh, each and every week to record that with you, and so hopefully everybody will check that out. Um, if you would like to catch up with me, you can find me on Twitter. I'm MattRushing02. I'm on Instagram at MRushing. I'm here on the network doing The Orb with Chris Jones. We're talking about Deep Space Nine. We're hoping to be back soon, so keep your fingers crossed that that can happen. Of course, you've got the 602 Club and Star Wars The 602 Club Collection. You can find both of those on iTunes. Uh, both feeds are there where they should be. Hit us up with star ratings and reviews on those. Uh, really help the shows grow. We really appreciate that. And uh, on the Nerd Party Network, I'm not just doing aggressive negotiations. I'm also diving into a whole other franchise, Harry Potter, talking Owlpost each and every week. That's the name of the show, Owlpost, the Harry Potter podcast with Drea Kaufman, as we are walking through every chapter of Harry Potter in fact, uh, we've got only four chapters left in the first book already, so uh, perfect time to dive in with us. We're we're having a blast, and if you are new to that fandom or you're longtime fan, it's the perfect show for you. So check it, it out. It's a great show, folks. You should check it out. I appreciate that, man, uh, and uh, hopefully everybody will. But um, yeah, thank you so much for joining us, and may the force be with you. Thank you.